welcome back to the Reading Radio Podcast. This is Alora. And this is Jason. Today we are going to be talking about A Wrinkle in Time by Madeline Lingle. Yeah, we were joking about this before we started. Not quite sure how to pronounce it. It's Langle, Langle. I apologize, <laughs> Madeline, if you ever listen to this. Uh, we did like your book, so sorry we can't <laughs> pronounce your name. What did you think overall of the book? Um, overall, I like it. It's a classic. It's, I picked it. It's, uh, I usually end up picking the older books. and I, It's a book I've read... I want to say three times now. I read it in fourth or fifth grade. I think I was in Burnham Elementary at the time. Might have been younger than that. I read it again in late college, after college, and then now. So I've obviously enjoyed it enough to waste my time reading it three times. What about you? (laughs) I thought it was really good. I've read it twice. The first time I read it, you were reading it to me and Zoe. I apologize. I've read it four times. I forgot about that one. And I did not understand it. We saw the original movie, which I thought was terrible. I just think I've ruined you for watching movies after books, which is probably okay. (laughs) And the new one's coming out by Disney. That's why we're doing this. I thought it was really good. I thought it was different for a classic book because the main character is a girl. Also, it is very different for a children's book. Yeah, I kind of asked that coming into this. We we think it's different as a children's book, but it's hard to pin down exactly what it was. I think... I don't know if it's a different in the books written. Let's see, this was originally published in '76, <laughs> so two years before I was born. If I'm reading the reading the front page correctly, if books were just different then, and we have shorter attention spans now, or if it is just different for a children's book, but it felt different to me. Like, yeah, the sci- it was more sci-fi. Yeah, definitely more sci-fi. A lot of references that I don't know if kids would get and understand. A lot of quotes. I have no idea what you're talking about, so yeah. Well, the quotes from Mrs. What's It. She's yeah. always quoting classic literature or philosophy. I, wasn't that Mrs. Who? I apologize, it is Mrs. Who. When you name characters Mrs. Who, Mrs. Witch, and Mrs. What's It, it's hard to keep them straight. But Mrs. Who is the one who quoted. You're right. Yeah. So our quick spoiler-free summary, if you haven't read the book, if you have, you should obviously go to our website, use our link, go to Amazon, buy the book, and read it before the movie comes out, because the book's always better than the movie. It's a story about Charles Murray and her adventure. Charles Wallace. Sorry, Charles Wallace Murray, Meg Murray, and Calvin O'Keefe, the three main characters, and their adventures with Mrs. Mrs. Who, Mrs. What's It, Mrs. Witch. Right, to defeat the... It. It. So this is It before Stephen King's It, if I'm not mistaken. We'd have to look to see who, who made the bad guy first, but if those two don't mind, maybe they can be related. Allure's looking at me like I'm crazy. <laughs> There's another horror movie book. I know the movie's it. out, and I've seen, like... Uh, red box and stuff that's okay. down there. Tr- what triggers the adventure? Like, why is there even an adventure to be had? Meg's father disappears. Mm-hmm. Is that what you're talking yes. about? Meg knows he, that he's still alive. She was a top student. She's been going downhill in school since then. And the principal and everyone's telling her, forget it, he's not alive. He's not coming back. So that's kind of what the trigger. Right. If I remember right, she didn't know, and I'm using air quotes for you radio listeners because that works well. Um, she didn't know he was alive. She believed he was alive and coming back. Yeah. And everyone else thought, was it thought he ran away with another woman? Is that what the rumor was? Yeah. Right. But Meg's mom didn't believe that, so Meg wouldn't believe that. Charles, Ma- Charles Wallace is young, but very intelligent. He didn't believe that. And I don't know if the twins ever, the twins are, are there. Sandy and Dennis? Yeah. They come between Charles Murray and, and Meg. Meg, but I don't think they ever talked about their feelings on the matter. No, I don't think they did. So I think we kind of have the summary. They be, they were brought together by Mrs. Who, Mrs. Witch, and Mrs. What's It, who yeah. are special creatures of some kind we'll talk about later. I actually don't think that's what brought the three together. 
Okay. Weren't Meg and Charles walking and the dog ran into the woods and Calvin came to help them get him? Yes, that's how they originally met together, but the fact that they go on the adventure together is because of the ah. the Mrs. Witch, Mrs. Who, and Mrs. What's It. Got it. We need a collective name for them. That's hard to say. We are now going into the spoiler territory. If you have not read the book, you need to go read it because it is a really good book. And it's a classic. You should have read it already. <laughs> and if you haven't read it, you should probably stop and go read it now because we're going into spoiler territory. Yep. And if you get spoiled past this, that's your fault, not ours. All right, so what what made, made Meg different as a character than other characters you've read about? She's a female. It's a good start. A lot of female characters we've read recently, though. It wasn't popular at the time, but it's more popular now. And the two boys were, the sidekick, were more the sidekick. Like in Harry Potter, it's main boy, then two, a boy and a girl. Okay. But in this, it was girl, boy, boy instead. Two sidekicks. Okay. Yeah. About her character herself, like her actions. What did what did her early actions tell you about her? What how would you describe her personality? Kind of feisty. So if someone and gets mad at her, she will. But she's quiet otherwise and wouldn't get into a fight. Mm-hmm. But if someone starts it, she'll finish it. Right. There's a story. I think early on of her. Beating some boy who had who said something wrong about her father, if I remember. About right. Charles. Charles. Oh, it was about Charles Wallace. Stupid, the stupid boy. Yeah, Charles Wallace doesn't talk much in public, but when he does, he's actually super intelligent. Yeah, and he's five. And he, yeah, so it's not like he's just actually dumb. Dumb is an old-fashioned word for not able to talk. He is actually very intelligent. I think he doesn't want to waste his words on dumb people. Dumb people. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't want to cast his pearls before swine. To use a biblical term. And then there's the twins. They don't get a whole lot into them, but t- the twins are... I always picture them like Fred and George. They might have been the inspiration for Fred and George Weasley from Harry Potter. Uh, they're like They were the younger version, because they were probably eight or so, eight or nine. Athletic. They were ten. Were they ten? It said. Okay. I'm almost definite. So they're very athletic. They did a lot of the defending of Meg and Charles Wallace. People mm-hmm. would talk bad about their family and like, now we got to go beat more people up. This is ridiculous. <laughs> it's funny. Some of the questions we have on our sheet, cheat sheet, is... <laughs> cheat sheet. What is a willing suspension of belief... And how does ha- how does being willing to su- to suspend belief help Mrs. Murray? So this willing suspension of belief is she's going to hold off on believing. This is my understanding of it: of believing that her husband has run off. Like mm-hmm. evidence says he's gone and not coming back. Whether he ran off with another woman or got caught up in a dangerous experiment, we haven't seen him. He stopped writing. Not going to believe because that. they went, did something with the government. That's what Miss Murray talks about. Right. So her. Willing suspension of belief is, I'm going to push that off so that I can deal with my family. Because if I actually believed he was not coming back, I'd probably break down, I'd yeah. cry, and I wouldn't be able to take care of my family. Yeah. So yeah. is that how it helps her? I think so. So early on, they meet, they run into Mrs. What's-It. She's the first one, right? Mrs. What's-It. Or Mrs. Witch. It's, no, it's Mrs. Mrs. What's-It what's first. first. Then Mrs. Who's the quote, or Mrs. Okay, got it. Which is the witch. <laughs> yeah, so the three W's. But she's really... Weird. What was weird about her? She's just quirky. It's... She dressed funny? Yeah. They thought she was the hobo that was roaming around? Uh-huh. No, the... So they thought she was the tramp that stole curtains from another lady. But she did. Yeah. But she needed them to make clothes or something like that. <laughs> so are you shocked that there's no argument about whether or not they're going to go off with this strange woman? Yeah, like, why would you do that? 
Right. Don't I, do that. As a father to a daughter, don't wander off with a strange woman who, no matter what she knows about you, says otherwise. I think that society was different enough that it may be able to do that, though. Because less violent, you knew everybody, knew more people. So statistically speaking, there's less crime today than there was in 1976. Mm-hmm. And people get away with less crime than they did then because our ways of solving crimes have gotten better. It's probably something to the small community. They lived in a small area. And she came over to the house and Mrs. Murray kind of gave her a stamp of approval. Yeah. And Charles Wallace is kind of the third power way of knowing what she was. <laughs> but still, to go off and just into like grander adventures was a little, a little strange. Yes, very. So we talked about Mrs. Who being the quoter. Do you remember why it said she liked to quote? things it said it was more effective right she had a hard time communicating with in human language or something yeah so right. she would just quote do you think it was an effective way to communicate with the children no because i don't think they ever really understood what she was saying i know i didn't yeah there's a lot of times where if you don't know what the quote means or don't get the reference there's a context to quoting things like yeah that. no i come from a culture of your nerd culture as it is is one. It's usually you're quoting things, you're, uh-huh. and I hear you and your friends do it all the time. You'll make a quote from Percy Jackson that you all know exactly what you mean, but that has to be explained <laughs> to somebody on the outside. Yeah. So you can communicate through those shortcuts by making those references, especially pop culture references. A lot yeah. of people know it has, but around people that know it. If not, it makes no sense. Right. But it's interesting that, that language has evolved that way, right? Yeah. So. Things that turned started as pop culture references, Shakespeare put so many idioms and phrases into our language that it's yeah. not funny. And we've we've watched some videos on how those uh-huh. things came about, and they just became part of pop culture. So you're like, oh, I don't remember where that came from. I just know that that's what it means. That reminds me. This morning I was, I told Zoe I wasn't gonna be a go between between my friends, and I used the quote from that Hermione said in the fourth book. When they're fighting, I'm not an owl, Ron. I oh. think that's what she was saying to him because she was using as a go-between. So you weren't going to be an owl between Zoe and your mom or me and Zoe or something like yeah. that? Yeah. And so we all knew what that, we, we would all know what that meant. Actually, she didn't add well. to explain it to her. <laughs> if somebody hadn't read Harry Potter, they wouldn't have a, cha- a choice. Yeah. So quotes are only good in, if, you... if everyone's in the know mm-hmm. and maybe you've used them before. So how would you react to being taken <laughs> on a surprise journey to a strange planet? By three W's. I would be screaming and wailing, Take me back right now! I can call the cops! Once we get back on Earth! <laughs> but you can't, yeah, you can't use your cell phone. So it'd be, you'd be shocked, right? Yeah. I, I think I would be in shock and maybe not believe I was in a on a strange planet. Like it was a dream or something? Right. Kids have a way of imagining that and being okay with that sort of thing. As an adult, I'd be like, we're not on a different planet. That just isn't possible. <laughs> we'd move on. You know, I would probably pinch myself, but... You always pinch yourself in real life to see if it's a dream, but you never pinch yourself in the dream. Right, because you never think about it in your dream. All right, so when they start traveling, they learn about the darkness and it. You want to explain kind of that, what that is? Yeah. So, no, you do it, because I have no <laughs> idea how to do it. So they called Earth, if I remember right, a silent planet. I might be confusing this. Unfortunately, we're recording this a little bit later than reading it. And I told you, uh, C.S. Lewis wrote a space trilogy, and the first one is called Out of the Silent Planet where the effects of sin made Earth go quiet from the rest of the universe. So it's a dark, silent planet. Mm. It doesn't communicate out. And so this evil darkness is spreading across the, the universe. Galaxy, sure. And Earth, it, it's still people are still fighting it. Yes. It is kind of what they call the darkness. So in Chapter 7, 
Charles Wallace, the very intelligent boy, talks about not being able to make decisions based on fear. So this is when they were on Kamazots, and they were trying to decide what to do, mm-hmm. and they were terrified about it, but Charles Wallace... To go down to the city. Yeah, and Charles Wallace is saying, they can't make decisions out of fear. We have to make decisions that are based on logic. Ration. Yeah, so yeah. do you agree with that? Yeah, because when you're scared, you can be very unrational. But if you think rationally and through it, you're not using letting the fear, so I don't think you should do it off of fear. I agree with him. What about you? <laughs> nice to throw it back to me. I agree, but it's easier said than done. Yes. I mean, fear is built into us in some ways to keep us alive. Mm-hmm. To, be in, to react quickly to things. And it's very difficult in the moment, that's why you usually need a friend, to say, whoa, calm down, let's think about this. Yeah. Right? Oftentimes, when you girls are frustrated with something, it's not fear, but it's the same situation. Mm-hmm. Emotion takes control. Okay, hey, what, what kind of rational decision can we make on this? Yes. Kamsatz is always a place that's intrigued me. Like, I have pictures in my head of an old film strip for we we watched with this movie. Now, you're like, what's a film strip? I know what a film strip <laughs> is. <laughs> it's like, still pictures. I can still picture the little boys and little girls bouncing the red ball from that. And, and the idea that everybody was forced to be exactly like, I have always been somebody who rebels against conformity on one level. I, if, people, if everyone likes a movie, I'm going to hate it out of... Just instinct. <laughs> it's just, I don't like being liking everything like pop culture and everybody else likes to some degree. It's been hard since like my geek culture has become mainstream. I almost like to become a normal person or something. No. I know, right? Won't happen. But the idea that everyone's going to conform, they're going to keep everybody safe, and that there, there's some parallel to real life there where if we just line everybody up, make everybody exactly the same, and everybody lives this way, then everybody will be safe. Do you think that's a legitimate pursuit of safety and security for people? No, there's always going to be someone who steps out of line. Like that one little boy, he was bouncing the ball out of rhythm, throwing it up in the air, playing, being a kid. But I feel like if you're going to do that, there's always going to be one person that steps out of line and someone who realizes, I don't want to do this, and does something else and causes other people to do it and will cause a rebellion. So I think be everyone being different would be better than everyone being the exact same. I agree. Plus, what fun is that? <laughs> right. There's a big push right now to get diversity of thought. Well, not thought. There's actually diversity of of experience and cultural backgrounds and, and gender and so we can get different ideas into areas that mm-hmm. have been very siloed in the past, which I think is great. I work, work, have the opportunity to work with people that come from different countries, that have different backgrounds, and they'll think of things in ways that I don't normally think of things. Um, getting insight from your mom obviously has been like, oh, well, I would never have thought about it that way. Is it because you're a woman or because you have different experiences? I don't know or care. I just like the fact that you bring different thoughts to the table. Just like we were, when we were building the bed, you couldn't figure out how to put it up, which way it was up. Yeah, that's a good point. We were putting a, an Ikea bed together. Everyone knows how easy those are to do. <laughs> and I'm a, I can't look at something in 3D visual space and turn it around in my head very well and make see how it works, but Alora could. So she would say, no, you just have to turn it this way. And I'd say, I'm sorry, I have to look at it. And I would physically turn the thing upside down. And, and figure out I was right. And figure out she was right and go, okay, you're right. So now I can listen to you a little bit more on that kind of stuff. But without having that input and your diversity and helping make that happen, we wouldn't have had that. I enjoy having people from other cultures and learning about it. I really enjoy doing World Thinking Day with Girl Scouts because of that. Because you get to learn about other cultures and mm-hmm. other countries and how they do things. Yeah. One of the things I love about America is, is our food. Like we've got, we can five miles from here be like the best Thai food or Mexican food or American food, American food or 
you know, we can go downtown and get some nice French cuisine. Uh-huh. And there's a lot of, it's getting better, but still a lot of places they have, you know, this type of food and that's it. I couldn't imagine living in a place where you didn't have the influx of all these cultures to be able to see how they do things and, and how and if we can improve. So what do you think it is? Is it the man with the red eyes or is it is it something else behind him and what is it or what does it represent? I don't... I think it may represent forcing people to be the same or something along those lines. I think it is something that is truly evil, taking away people's ability. I think it was Miss What's Who, Miss Who, that was a star and died fighting it. Mm-hmm. So it's taking everything away. Do you think there's any connection to it and the darkness of C.S. Lewis's space trilogy and its its sin? Maybe. Some sort of universal sin that, that makes us, or the human condition that makes us hate one another at times and yes. causes those kind of strife. Maybe be, maybe the human evil, though. What do you think the phrase like and equal are two entirely different things means? And so that's a quote from the book. I, if I remember it, I believe it's, we can be alike, we're human, uh-huh. you and I are both human, but we are not equal. Mm-hmm. In that, you have skills and abilities that are different than mine. Yes. Especially when you become an adult, it'll be easier to see where your skills are going to supersede mine. I hope that you are doing greater things than I've ever done, right? At the same time, two any two human beings are different on so many levels mm-hmm. that equality across the spectrum can't be... Uh, can't be achieved. Yes. Um, there's actually a short story by Kurt Vonnegut where they try that. So if you're super athletic, they make you wear weights around your body. And if you're pretty, they make you wear a mask. And if you're smart, they put a little buzzer in your ear so you can't concentrate. So every, every 10 seconds or so, it makes some sort of weird crashing sound or noise or buzzer or gunshots so mm. you're always disturbed by the sound. So they're trying to make everyone equal. And in doing so, they really handicap everybody. It's actually the Office of Handicapper General that does is in charge of making that happen to people like that's what happens it feels like when we try to really make this equality thing happen we're looking for a quality of outcome instead of a quality of opportunity which is something we can strive for let's give everyone an equal chance to try that's so that's kind of what i think it was going for and it helps meg because she's trying to see the strengths her own strengths but she's she's it's always easier to compare your strengths to everyone else's. Charles Wallace is super smart, and I'm dumb. Like, no, you're not. You have your own strengths, your tenacity, and your willingness to fight, and that sort of thing. Yeah. You want to talk about Ant Beast? Uh-huh. You like that chapter, huh? Why did you like Ant Beast so much? I don't know. I just really liked it. I think it's something that you could relate to having somebody like that in your life. So even though she was, she was a beast when you looked at her, uh-huh. she was a very kind, gentle, caring, loving creature. Yeah. So I don't know what, what race she was to call her or anything else. And so what made fi- Meg finally trust her? Do you remember? Um, She went to sleep, and she slept beside her, and she was fine when she woke up. Yeah. I think that might have been it. It was just that, was it just the proximity? Or the, she proved herself that she She proved her? herself. Okay. So Charles Wallace gets taken over by it. He He has to try to dive into his mind, and he loses. He's taken over. Mm-hmm. And Meg has to figure out how to save him. Yeah. Do you remember how that went down? How'd she save him? Yes. It is actually one of my favorite parts. Um, she saves him by saying, I love you. I love you, Charles Wallace. Now, why did that work? Because it was true love. It was loving them, quotation marks there, mm-hmm. um, 
but she truly cared for him and was willing to come back for him. Why do you think true love is such a huge plot device in fairy tales, in Harry Potter, in this book? I think because true love can help you. Having someone who truly loves you and is there for you can help you through the harder times. It's such a natural part of human nature too, right? We mm-hmm. we ideal, ideally have the love of our parents and our family and then the love of our friends or, or siblings or spouse as we grow up. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's something we've always strived for. Since we're recording this right before the movie, what do you hope they include and do well in the movie? Ant Beast. Ant Beast. What else? I'm really curious about how they would do the scene. The scene of them all bouncing balls in sync. Because it's all different kids that are in different clothes. It'll be interesting to see the behind the scenes on that. Are they doing it with CGI? Or are they doing... And in the trailer, I don't think it shows them jump roping like it does in the book. Like it says in the book. Mm-hmm. I really hope they do Ant Beast. That was not in the first, the original movie. I'm curious about the feast scene. Yeah, I think whoever they get to play Charles Wallace is going to have to be a remarkable young actor. Because he's five or six in the book. They'll probably make him a little older to make it easier. Uh Uh-huh. But to be able to play not only this incredibly intelligent child, Mm -hmm. but then to be able to play the almost evil when he gets taken over. Yeah. Just to not care anything about Meg and to be so bitter and biting and sarcastic and... It's going to take a special actor to pull that off. Uh-huh. They're going to be, well, they've already found him, obviously. It's being released in a month. So I'm really anxious to see how that turns out. It reminds me of a monster in one of my other books, Idolin. So they pretty much, they're ghosts that take you over and control your actions. Okay. Causing you to do things that you would never do in real life. And I think that happened, that's pretty much what happens to Charles. So I think, obviously, we, we get back to... Mr. Murray, everyone gets back, they live uh-huh. happily ever after. There are sequels to this. Well, actually, I don't think they would live happily ever after. Okay. They would be questioning about how he got back, what happened. I think other things would have to happen that go further. Meg may... Walk into the principal's office and thumb her nose at him and say, na 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 that's <laughs> what I would do. Maybe be a little bit crazy after it. And no one outside of her family would believe her. Yeah, it's funny that you bring that up because there's so many stories where this is the you know the reality. Like afterwards, how do you clean that mess up? We're just happy that happy that they got to a happy ending, and no one ever thinks about that. Like the therapy that people would have to go through. The government's gonna have a lot of questions for how he got back. They may just go ahead and take him away and yeah, talk to him. And so there are sequels to this book that I've never read. It might be interesting for us both to like dive into the next one and see if it includes the same characters. Ooh. Um, maybe two podcasts from now because I know we have some other we have some other stories backed up. Uh-huh. But to maybe tackle that and be like, okay, how did they follow up on this? What happened amazing. next? So it'd be the first sequel we've done. We haven't done the second book in any series yet. We started a couple series, but we have only started one series released. No, we get the School of Good and Evil. We yeah, haven't released Harry Potter that yet, series. Oh, that's true. We haven't released it yet. And Chris Child was the last book. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> it All right. Was only overall, Percy Jackson. score of zero to five, halves being allowed. Um, what do you give Wrinkle in Time? A four or four and a half. Okay. So it's not all the way to five because the quotes were kind of hard to understand. And there are a few pieces I just didn't get. Yeah. I don't remember what they were, but I don't. Oh, I didn't write. I wrote this on another sheet. 
um, speaking of the things that are not easy to understand, they started talking about free will and freedom because in Camazots they didn't really have freedom. Mm-hmm. And they just talked about the sonnet. Do you remember that part? That might have been while I was asleep. <laughs> okay. So a sonnet is a very particular type of poetry. Um, Shakespeare's famous for them. But they mm-hmm. have very strict rules on how they're written. Certain number of lines, certain rhythm as you go, certain rhyming pattern, mm-hmm. or it's not a sonnet. And so... Miss, I forget which W it was now, was making the point of you have perfect freedom inside of this structure to write a sonnet. If you want to write a sonnet, you, you have to do you follow these rules. But inside of those rules, perfect freedom to say, say and do whatever you want. Yeah. And so there's, I think there's a whole conversation there to be had on human free will. Because even scientists now are coming around to saying we don't necessarily have the free will we thought we did because the genes that make you up determine so much about who you are, what you want, what you'll desire, what you'll do in life. I um, mm-hmm. So inside the structure of those genes, you might have free will, but do you really have free will outside of that structure? Mm. I don't know if you've thought much about free will in your 12 years of life, <laughs> but it's a great place to dig in for conversation if we were to take that offline. That was a great section where I was like, huh, I want to think more about how that works. Yeah, um, I think that's about it. Anything else? No, I didn't give my score yet. You're like, yeah, I don't want to talk about free will, Dad. Just leave it alone. Fine. <laughs> um, I would give this one easily a four as well maybe four and a half it, it aged well like i've read it when i was your age i've mm-hmm. read it now i i would read this book every every so often just because it's it's a good classic and has different levels to it every time you read it c.s lewis said that a good book deserves to be read every 10 years so, you just quoted c.s lewis i mean i could not be prouder <laughs> <sighs> i think with that we could sign off <laughs> i'm jason and i'm laura uh, check us out at reading-radio.com or wherever you catch us in your podcatcher. Uh, our next book we're going to be releasing is... The School of Good and Evil. School of Good and Evil. That was a newer book. A By little... Soman Tarani. Yep. So, uh, who's a guy, I believe it or not. I got, we got halfway through this book before I realized it was the author was a guy. I knew it was. Did you? Because I had the paperback ready to read. Oh, so you had a picture? See, that's what audi- with audible audiobooks, you don't really get that information. So that was good. If you haven't read School of Good and Evil yet, head over to our bookstore at reading-radio.com and check it. Check out the book there. Uh, get it through Amazon through us. Kicks back a, f- a few pennies our direction and helps us to pay for the podcast and Alora's college education. So that's it. Anything else? Bye! Bye! <laughs>